0: Welcome to Filling the Gap. This episode contains content that may not be suitable for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. As of March of 2019, there are 2.3 million people imprisoned in the United States. The people in prison are fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, cousins, friends, and people of the community this causes a tremendous gap in our society. Many times the root issue is a gap within the individual. We live in an imperfect world with broken people. This is Connie's story about being a broken person in a broken system.
1: My family, my mother was a religious fanatic and my stepfather was an alcoholic and did drugs. other things. I'm the eldest of five. I have two brothers, two sisters, and when I was four, that's when my stepfather started molesting me. And I know more about this because another member, um, he would tell me the stories of how sick it made him watch um, my stepfather inject me with heroin or cocaine um, at the age of four. But it would it would calm me down or keep me quiet, depending on which mood I was in, that depended on what drug he would use.
0: Connie tried to get help and told her mother about what was happening to her.
1: first time I told her though, she slapped me and said, how could dare you (laughs) say that about my husband? But I believe she always kind of knew. Because of the religion, Pentecostal, the pastor said that she had to stay with him, even though he would put her in the hospital about every other month. Um, yeah, he, he was just very abusive, ugly man. And, you know, I, I had tried to kill my stepfather once. I had, I found a gun, and I think I was in the third grade. I went to the bedroom and I started pulling the trigger and nothing happened. Well, it always happened on TV. (laughs) I didn't know a gun needed bullets, okay? I was eight years old. So I'm glad it didn't have any bullets in it. But after that, um, the molestation just went, it dropped.
0: Although her father slowly stopped the abuse, he left Connie with a drug addiction.
1: When I was 11, 12, I still needed to find cocaine. And I would would tell my stepfather that if he didn't get it for me, that I would tell my mom and everybody what he was doing. So he would continue to supply me with the drugs, with cocaine.
0: And the drugs became a part of Connie's life.
1: Well, I was uh, considered a juvenile delinquent ever since I was probably about 11, 10, 11. Yeah, and then when I turned 14, I ran away from home went to the streets of Seattle and joined the gang and went to juvie, uh, and then when I turned adult I ended up going to jail
0: One other constant in Connie's life has been a feeling that she's carried in her heart.
1: All my life, even before I knew what God meant um, and I think even when I was four, when I felt the worst pain, there would be like this warmth that would come over me and it would make me feel like, okay, I'm okay. You know, I couldn't see it. It was just a feeling I had. And then as I got older, I found out, oh, okay. When I learned about God, it's this is what I've been feeling. So throughout my life, he's always been there. I have failed him, but he's never failed me, you know? And so I always knew Even as a teenager, as things were getting bad or even when they were good, I would say, okay, God, I know you see me. I know you're not happy with me, but please don't leave me.
0: God was by Connie in the midst of the pain and the addiction. God was guiding Connie even when she did not know it. And he was leading her to make positive changes in her life.
1: And so I I cleaned my act up. For, for a while there. I still did cocaine, it's just on a level where I could function. Then went to college in my early 20s and whatnot and just started going in a different direction and then I started using crack cocaine and that was a monster. I was hooked right away almost immediately I, where I had no control and I'd never been out of control. I didn't even know what that felt like, to be completely out of control and where something else dictated what I did and what I I didn't do. At the time, I had been a realtor with Century 21 and I lived on 20 acres in Graham, a wonderful husband and three children, Um, and one day, after probably about a year into the addiction, I told them I was going to the store and they didn't see me again for three years because uh, I thought I don't want to be one of those people that I've seen in my family and whatnot who just suck their family dry.
0: Connie left and went into the streets where she knew she would be able to have better access to drugs but also be far away from causing further damage to her family.
1: My family has Crips and Bloods, Hilltop. So Hilltop in Tacoma. Um, so I just had to choose which side, you know, to kind of fall into. And the one that I did, my cousin, he didn't run blocks. He ran neighborhoods. Um, and out there meeting these people And I always wanted to know people's story. How did you get here, you know? And I I came across a Harvard professor. And I remember him showing me his credentials. And it made me realize all these people had a life, you know, before this, you know? Um, And it reminded me to have compassion. And if I could, I started recognizing, well, God must have it too. And so I started leaning towards understanding that he loves me in spite of what? I was doing. Sorry. So I would wake up and I would pray. First, I'd be pissed, okay, that I woke up, right? because <laughs> i I had a death wish, but but then I would just say, "Okay, Lord, just get me through this day. I, I, I know where I'm gonna do, but please just stay with me. And he was there so many times to get me through situations that I know I couldn't have gotten out of, except by him.
0: As Connie got deeper into drug culture, she began to face the consequences of that lifestyle.
1: Then I started going to jail for possessions and prostitution and just all kinds of stuff. Um, And uh, after you have so many possession charges, then you go to prison. My first was a year and a day, and then after that, it was more than that, like three years. But in prison, I remember the first time I went to prison, I learned that there were just as much drugs in prison as there was on the streets, and that rehabilitation was not what prison was about. You know, It was about people learning how to do what they do even better if they got out. Especially knowing that uh, a lady who was in prison, um, she had been in for about 20 years, and when she got out, I saw her on the streets, and she was like, Connie, I can't do this. I I don't even know. This world is so different to me. I can't do this. But it, it made me... Um, realize how hopeless it is for us in prison. It's not a place to be rehabilitated. You know, I mean, you have to go to jail and take a drug charge that gets you dosa so that you can go to rehab in prison. If you don't get that charge or that opportunity, you can't go, and that should be the first thing you get as an opportunity when you go to prison.
0: Connie shares more about what prison life is like and how people make use of the time there.
1: You get the opportunity to, if you want to, you can focus on whatever. And a lot of people in prison go to church. You know, they, they have the opportunity to reconnect with God. And in and, and prison, especially, and I know, when you feel hopeless, when you already know in your heart your life isn't going to change, you, know, you just might as well get comfortable with it, no matter how much you hate it. It gave me a chance to go to other religions. I was going to college in there, too. And one of the instructors said that Seventh-day Adventist was a cult, and I had never heard of Seventh-day Adventist, let alone it being a cult. And so I thought, okay, the next time I go to church, I'm going I'm to see what these Seventh-day Adventist people are about, because I've always been interested in different religions.
0: Unfortunately, this interaction would not be a positive one.
1: I went to the Seventh-day Adventist um, meeting, And by the time I got done listening to them, I thought, oh, these people are whack. (laughs) They are so off. And then later I heard that at that time they weren't even in the prison. So whoever was coming in said they were Adventists, but they weren't from the conference.
0: But fortunately, this was not the last interaction Connie would have with the Adventist church. Connie was released from prison, and the next encounter with the Seventh-day Adventist church would be unlike any other.
1: The last time I went to prison, the last time I got out of prison, I had no intention of doing anything but going back to the streets. And I went back to using and selling drugs. And uh, a guy that had known me um, for a couple of years, after he bought some drugs, he says, why don't you come with me to my place for the weekend? Because he would have an in-home drug dealer. (laughs) Okay. And this guy, you know, he was so radical. But what I loved is that I knew whenever he came in, we were going to have a conversation about God. And he always had the Steps of Christ books in his car. And he he went out and brought one in and said, you know what? Read this. I think you're really going to like it.
0: Wait, did you catch that? In the midst of this drug exchange, God was there in their drug deal there was a witnessing effort
1: that night i started reading and then as i'm reading it even with the first chapter i thought whoa this woman she she gets it she understands what it means to to know god's love and and to be a christian so I kept reading it. I took it everywhere I went—doctor's appointments, you know, everywhere I went. I had that book with me, and then after about three days, I realized I wasn't getting high anymore. And with crack cocaine, I had given up completely. I knew I was either going to go back to prison for life or die. Um, I was—I was done. But um, when I realized that reading that book had me so engrossed that I wasn't getting high, that that I wasn't using cocaine, the drug I've used all my life, okay? Um, and then when he came back the next week, and I told him, you know, how excited I was about this book, and he invited me to come to his church, and I said, where do you go to church? And he said, seven days And I really, my heart sunk, okay? I thought, oh, my Lord, he's one of them. And I I said, you know, you don't even know the right day to go to church. (laughs) But I thought, if this woman is a part of this church and I'm seeing all this truth for what I feel is right, then I need to reevaluate what I've learned about Seventh day Adventist. I went to church. They were going through the Desire of Ages, and I had made a commitment to myself I was gonna go in here and be critical, you know, and try to learn if this is really what this book insinuates this church to be. And the whole church, what I sensed more than anything was that they were so concerned about their own relationship with God. I mean, there was everybody with a book or, you know, some kind of advice, but never pushy, really, they just, were so concerned about their own relationship and wanting to share, not because they thought they they were the sound of God or something.
0: Connie's addiction slowly began to fade away. She got connected with a local church and has been involved in ministerial efforts. She's returned to school to learn how to give back to the community she is so knowledgeable of and to learn more about herself.
1: I'm taking addiction studies right now in college to get my diploma in that, and then I'm gonna take criminal justice. But taking the addiction class has taught me why my brain is so out of whack, but how to deal with it as well.
0: Sobriety is a difficult transition. Stopping the use of drugs is hard enough, but having to deal with all the pain that the drugs were hiding Is what makes sobriety a challenge?
1: I was very confused. I'd never lived off of cocaine, okay? Um, This is the first time in my life, so... uh, And there were a lot of emotions that I'd never felt before that all of a sudden, sober, I didn't learn how to deal with, okay? Uh, And the main point was that you had to have faith in your ability to come above, feeling sorry for yourself or... Uh, feeling ashamed, and and fear of life, you know. Um, And the thing that hit me the most was understanding that um, I'm going to have these emotions based on my past, but that doesn't mean I have to live in those emotions the way I lived in them.
0: Connie's life is a clear example of God chasing people. No matter the circumstance, God was there for Connie in the darkest times of her life. Here's some advice Connie has to offer for those struggling with addiction.
1: Never forget that no matter what you're doing, God sees you and that He's there with you. And even though we can't trust ourselves, that if we just stay focused on Him instead of what we're doing, even in the midst of doing it, you know, if you're having a drink, put the bottle and the Bible side by side. You know, just don't forget that He's there. Even if you don't feel it, don't forget He's there. And and follow that lead, because for each person, I think it's slightly different. got will lead in what direction a person should go. I, I mean, I want to say, you know, go to church, um, go to counseling, you know, go to, but when you're coming out, you're not thinking, you're thinking about getting back to what you were doing before they took you to jail.
0: Connie now gives back to the prison community. She's part of the prison ministry's effort in Washington state. Connie always believed she would be back in prison. But this time, it's a little different than what she had expected.
1: I knew that um, this is where I need to be, is in prison ministries. And, you know, especially when I went in, and I'm looking at the same women that I bunked with, you know, that I did dirt with, okay, up in there. Um, And even if they didn't, the ones who knew me, Tell them about me <laughs> so because I had a reputation and just see the looks on their faces to see me there, but that gave it even more of a powerful testimony because they knew me how I was in and out. And for me to always say I would come back and coming back with the Seventh day Adventist Church, um, it's touched them, especially the ones I know, but it's touched me so much more to stay encouraged.
0: Our pasts do not define us. We can learn, grow, and heal from the choices we have made. We are never too far gone to be loved and embraced. Connie's story shows that addiction takes and takes and takes, but that God gives and gives and gives. We have so many people imprisoned in the world, physically and emotionally. We all have gaps within ourselves and we try to fill them with things that just don't work. But the beauty of our brokenness and the gaps within us is that they're meant to be filled. May we let God pour into us. May we pour into one another, just as Connie is doing for her community around her. Next time on Filling the Gap, we continue with stories about prison. Bible study ended, I went back to my unit, and then I reset up the drug deal again with the people that I was supposed to meet there. Lo and behold, when I go next week to the Bible study, they don't show up again. The people that were supposed to show up, they ended up getting busted. So they ended up going to the hole, so here I am by myself again, stuck in this Bible study.